morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's a good crowd. Yeah. This morning. Yeah. Is it a special day? I think so. Oh, that's why I'm wearing a tie. Yep. Good job, you. Um, well, I thought since we've got a lot of visitors today, I thought um, I was I wanted to ask you who you invited to church today, Scott. Did you invite anyone? Did I invite anybody? Yeah. What am I supposed to say? I don't know. Did you not invite anyone? Is there a punchline to this joke? No. Why would you think? I so? don't know why I would think that. Well, so who did you invite I, to church today, Reagan? I sent out a message on my next door. Anyone like to get on next door? Yeah. For entertainment is usually where I go yeah. because I want to be retired and send angry emails about. Why is there concrete or what's the construction, you know? Yeah, I love, that's your dream? That's my dream. That's what we're working um, towards? All but right. I was like, I don't have anyone to invite to church because we hang out with you hooligans all the time. Christians. Christians. Am I right? So I was like, who can I invite? So I did text two neighbors that I have their number. And then I was like, I'm just going to invite all of Stone Creek and Plano. So I did. Awesome. I don't think anyone's here. Anybody from, here from, from Stone, Stone Creek, Creek and Plano? Nope. Worked. Evangelism strategy is working. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nailed it. Nailed it. But Good way to start an Easter message. Yep. <laughs> all right. That's all I got. Okay, cool. We should say hi to people online. Yes. Streamers. Hello, those who are streaming online. Yeah. Uh, I'm Scott. This is Reagan. We're the pastors here in Thrive, associate pastors at Lover's Lane. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us for Easter. Thank you, uh, other Pastor Scott. Uh, we're all named Scott around here uh, for leading an awesome children's time. Kids, was that fun? You like your eggs? Yeah? Parents, are we wrestling over the candy right now? That's good. <laughs> I'm looking forward to all the texts I get from parents whose kids go home and try to find empty eggs in the egg cartons at home as well. Um, that'll be fun. Uh, fun cleanup job there. Yeah. All right. We've got a lot to cover this morning. We're going to get straight into scripture. Uh, yep. So uh, we're going to begin with Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, and then we're going to continue on with Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. Um, and before we do that, Reagan, would you say a word of prayer? Well, I, I forgot something in my chair. Will you pray for our text while I run down and grab that? How long does my prayer need to be? Okay. Uh, Ten got seconds. Okay. You're good. Um, God, we are so thankful to be here, to be able to celebrate um, that you are risen and that you give hope and that you give life and that you offer so much more than anything else in this world. So we ask that you would fill this place, that we would hear this story with new ears. And it's your name, amen. Amen. All right, so beginning Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Jeremiah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And what we're about to read is, is what we call the new covenant uh, that's lifted up in the book of Jeremiah. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Okay. 
So obviously if you haven't been here, um, you probably think, hey, it's Easter. Shouldn't we be in the New Testament? Yeah. Yeah. But we're pulling a fast one on you. So yeah, we're going to go yeah. Old Testament. Fire and brimstone today, yes. baby. Let's do it. Um, but if you have been here with this series, uh, The Full Circle, you know that we, we've been in the Old Testament. That's where we've landed. We've been looking at these covenants that God has made with familiar characters like Adam and Eve and Noah and Aaron and David. Mm-hmm. And so you know that, okay, this is going somewhere. And uh, I think it was a great time. If you haven't listened to those, I would go back and listen because I think it's really important to see um, that God has been consistent through time, especially the Noah week. The Noah was probably the best week that... that oh, yeah. you think so? I thought it was. Oh, really? Who, that pre- was, who preached that, that week? That was mine. It was oh, good. that's right. Okay. Um, cool. Cool, cool, So cool. Uh, we see that uh, in these covenants that God is reaching out to these people, that God is continually giving second chances, that God is giving grace to this to these people. Um, but then, of course, we read um, right after each covenant that we, that we looked at the past few weeks that we quickly mess up and we break it. And so, again, we're kind of right back where we started. Yeah. So then when we arrive in Jeremiah, if you listened, it talked about a new covenant, which in the Old Testament, um, this phrase, new covenant, this is the first and only time it, it, it appears. And so it's, it's, it's different. There's something going on. And I love the way that this translation, the New Living Translation, talks about how it's going to be written in their hearts and, and that they're going to know it. Um, and it's different because, like the other covenants, there's always some sort of thing that the people had to do in order to live up to the covenant. But this one in Jeremiah is really just about relationship. Um, about forgiveness. And so we think like, okay, this is going to be new. How is it going to be new? What's going to be different? Because we've had all these covenants, but what makes this one new? What makes this one different? So that's where we'll start to read in Matthew. So we see the new covenant spoken by Jesus uh, at a familiar story for a lot of us when uh, he's gathered with his disciples around a table for a Passover meal uh, and he extends a new covenant. We use this in our liturgy for communion. This is the scripture where that comes from. This is Matthew 26, 26 through 29. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So many of us have read this before. Um, As Scott said, we recite parts of this when we serve uh, the Lord's Supper Um, And so this person of Jesus Christ is offering us something radically different, something new. And and I love how he repeats the new covenant, which has been said in Jeremiah. So he's alluding to this, what was prophesied by by the prophet Jeremiah. And so I read this and I think, okay, is this the same kind of covenant? Is it new? Is it different? Um, And I would say yes and, and no. Because what we find when you go back and read the Old Testament covenants, you realize that it was really dependent on the people, on human action, doing something, earning their way, earning their keep, I guess. And then here we find that God is doing everything, that God is one that's offering up the full forgiveness, that they don't need to do anything except 
believe, but there's not this laundry list of you have to be this, um, you have to do this. And so I know that the Old Testament covenants don't say, God doesn't say, okay, I'm giving you this covenant because I forgive you. It doesn't say that. But that's really what God is saying time and time and time again, that I forgive you, here is a way to make things right. And in the personhood of Jesus, we see again, Christ forgiving, God forgiving, um, and then doesn't require anything. And so we see God acknowledging that we're, um, you know, imperfect, that we're going to mess up, but this, this is it. This is a covenant. This is going to seal something and, and that people never have to do anything else, any sort of uh, ritual or anything like that um, to give that. And so when Christ gave this promise, this new covenant, that I'm going to forgive you, you know, he's looking in the eyes of Judas who portrays him. He's looking at Peter who denies him. He's looking at all these disciples. But he's also making sure that they know that this is for all time, for all people. Just not you here gathered in this room, but for all people, for all time. And so what if this whole covenant was built on the principle of forgiveness? What if that was the covenant? That the covenant that we're waiting for is this true covenant of pure holy forgiveness, that this is a relentless pursuit from God so he can have eternal life with us. And so the first question we have for you today is how do we live as people of a forgiveness covenant? We're going to wrestle with this question throughout the morning. We're going to address this in four ways, uh, what it means to live under a forgiveness covenant. Number one, what does it mean for God to forgive us? Number two, what does it mean for God to forgive others? What does it mean, number three, for us to forgive others? And lastly, what does it mean for us to forgive ourselves? And so we're going we're gonna to break this down and walk through this together. Let's start with God forgiving us. Um, that's why we're here today, right? That's what Easter is all about. It's about this big moment of forgiveness. I want to ask you to place yourself, though, in the story. And I want to ask you a simple question. What is in your tomb this morning? What is in your tomb this morning, because I'm going to take a stab and say that most of us have heard the Easter story before, but maybe if you haven't, I'll summarize it. So Jesus is crucified, and that's when we celebrate on Good Friday. He's, he's laid to rest in a tomb, and then on the third day, this Sunday morning, um, some women go to, to seek out the tomb. They're, they're going to go and dress his, his body, because um, Human bodies, after they die and they decay, they begin to smell and begin to rot. And so they're going to honor this body of this man whom they followed and called Lord. And they're bringing with them oils and flowers and things to dress it up, make it smell nicer. Because what they expect to find inside that tomb is the dead body of Jesus Christ. And if, if I'm those women, that has got to be the, the worst thing I could imagine sitting inside my tomb. It, that represents the bulk of the weight of human sin, of human tragedy, of human mistakes. And so my question for you is, what's inside your tomb? What do you, when you walk up to your tomb, what do you expect to find? What are those sins, those mistakes, those deep, dark, dank secrets that you don't want anybody else to know about? What are the things that you regret more than anything else in your life? What are the things that you're terrified someone might find out and it could be the end of you? Uh, if that sounds serious, it's because it is. I want you to really imagine what's in your tomb. What are those things that you hope there is a big heavy stone rolled in front of? And the women show up to the tomb and the stone is rolled away. 
And not only is the body of their Savior not laying where they thought he'd be, instead of finding this decaying body, they find a risen Lord who is spotless, a Savior who's spotless, who's, who's pure, who's whole. And so I want to ask you this morning, when you approach that tomb on Easter, can you allow yourself to accept the reality and the truth that God has forgiven you? And that stone has been rolled away, and what you thought you were going to find inside, all those things that you were so terrified of, that you spend your life running from, that you spend your life covering up, that you spend your life trying to make smell better, God says it's empty. As far as I'm concerned, your tomb is empty. Now, that, that's, that's heavy. That's a hard truth to accept, because if you're like me, you like holding on to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we're going to start today just with the basic truth of your tomb is empty. And can you trust in that? So this is a Methodist church, and maybe you're not familiar with Methodist churches. Maybe this is your first time to be in a Methodist church. We follow a theological tradition called Wesleyanism. It's from John Wesley. And John Wesley was a really big believer in this thing called assurance, and maybe you've heard a song called Blessed Assurance. Have you heard that song before, a hymn in, uh, in Big Boy Church where they wear ties every Sunday? Mm-hmm. I'm not much of a singer. Let me see. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. How was that, Dee Dee? Was that excellent? She won't return my emails Jesus about, audi- back in about auditioning when for he the heard that. band. That was rude. He crawled back in. John Wesley believed in this thing called Blessed Assurance. And it was this sensation that he said would come over someone who believes in Jesus and claimed faith in Christ because, like I said earlier, they they knew that their tomb was empty. There was an assurance that they were right with God, that no matter what they had done, all the mistakes they had made, all of that was laid at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus sacrificed himself for it, and the slate was wiped clean. And so that's a hard thing for me to accept sometimes, the fact that God really did come and die and resurrect for me. But I need to have that blessed assurance if I'm going to walk with the Lord. I need to have that blessed assurance that my tomb is empty. Those things that I think I need to run from and hide from and make smell better, I can let, I can begin to let those things go because God has forgiven me. Okay. So after you, you realize that God forgives us, um, then second step would be that you need to let others know that God forgives them. I think that's a really, really important message because there's a lot of people that live thinking, I can never measure up, I can never be forgiven, I'm, I'm too lost or whatever, and the list goes on and on and on. And so we need to be able to tell others. And so this does mean you have to care for other people, Scott. You have to care about really? other people. Yep. Darn. And, but it's important because, you know, Christ, yes, he shared it with these 12 disciples, but he I think it was pretty clear that, okay, you need to go tell other people. This isn't just for you to keep. That there's so many more people out in the world um, that need to hear this message of forgiveness. And so, um, you know, again, they, he said in front of Peter and, and Judas, he, he said in front of these people that we're going to fail. And we know, I know that I've met people that carry shame and guilt. And that's something we're going to talk about this summer, actually. So come back this summer as we talk about the unmentionables, we're going to talk about shame and guilt and all the things, again, that we like to keep in that, in that tomb. We don't want people to know. We, we put all that stuff in. But I think, you know, whether it's people were raised, maybe they had a hard childhood or they were hurt by the church, 
they've heard really bad theology, and so they're stuck thinking, I, I can never be forgiven. God doesn't love me, love me. There's no way that God could love me. And we need to say, no, that's, that's not true. We need to call that out. People need to know that God is one that wants to forgive and love and has grace and that died on a cross, that was willing to go to so many lengths in order for us to know how much he loved us, how much grace, how much forgiveness he had for all people for all of time. And I think it's important that we say this because so many, again, don't, don't know it. And so we have to live this. We have to live as resurrected people. We have to live as forgiven people. I, I love, um, I talk about it pretty often, but there's this verse in Romans that I'm just going to say real fast. Romans 10, 14, it says, but how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim them? I mean, we, we joked at the beginning about who, did we, who do we invite to church? Um, I think the mentality is, especially living in Texas, that, well, everybody knows. Everybody knows. But if we were to stop the service right now and I were to send you out to brunch places or Starbucks, you'd be like, why? There's a lot of people that aren't in church. And it's because a lot of people don't know. They haven't heard. And so our job is not done. And people need to hear, I think, more now than ever that they can be forgiven when we live in a time where people are trying to say who's right and wrong and fighting all the time. Um, I think people need to know that they, they have a God that forgives and wants um, to, for them to know that. So I want you to think about someone that needs to hear this week that they are forgiven. I bet we all have someone that we know that needs to hear that they are forgiven. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to them. Or maybe you just need to speak some truth and say, you know, what that person did or what that experience, that's okay. You can be forgiven. Um, and so some people need to hear, hey, you can let it go. You can let it go. And I think I was really proud um, of our church this past week when we um, held an event here called Parkland Moves Us. And I was proud of our church because we were creating a space where people could come and give grace and mercy to one another and where they could listen and they can be heard in a way that um, was loving and that they didn't have to fight. But it was this really safe space where people could have this hard conversation. And um, I think I, when I look at that Jeremiah text and the Matthew, there isn't this list of you have to believe this and this and this in order to be good. You have to do this and this and this in order to be forgiven or saved. There's none of that. And so I feel like past Sunday kind of created this place where people realize, you know, I don't have to believe one certain way in order to come out good at the end of the day, um, that we could come together as a church, we could come together as united people, and working for a common good. So, Scott, I'm going to let you yeah, take Yeah, I, I think, um, who, who was able to be here for the, just give a, give a holler if you're here for the Parkland Moves Us event, go, woohoo! Hey, that's awesome. Um, it was really great to see to see Thrive show up for that. Uh, and, and and 
I don't think we had any idea what that event would turn into when we first started planning it. I want to stop for a second and give a lot of kudos to Sarah Marcellus Luganville, to Stan Copeland, to Taylor Adams, um, and, and all of those who were involved in the planning. Can we give them a hand real quick for that event? Because that is not easy to pull off. It is not easy to create a space where people can come together from all walks of life, all ideologies, around a conversation as heated and tense as gun violence in America, and to actually have a productive, fruitful evening emerge. And you've got 400 people almost in the room. And uh, if you weren't here, if you didn't know about it, we, we gathered together around round tables last Sunday night. We had a number of elected officials and people running for office for everything from city council all the way up to uh, U.S. Congress. And, um, and we had a special guest with us. His name was Justin, and he was a student from Stoneman Douglas uh, High School in Parkland, Florida. And, um, and what we did is we, we created a space where we could talk and we could listen. We could listen to Justin. We could listen to each other. We could listen to our elected officials. Um, and, and people took notice because that's not happening right now. You know, we, we're living in a day and, a day and time when, when tribalism and, and, and borders and walls are being put up everywhere. And I don't mean literally, I mean figuratively in our relationships. We, we, we are all starting to cloister off into our echo chambers. We're not discussing with each other. We're debating and yelling a lot. Um, and, and what was really crazy cool is to see how the community took notice of what we were doing. Um, we had, I think, six different media outlets were there to cover the event because they just couldn't believe that this was actually happening. I think they probably were coming to see the fireworks, uh, if they were being honest, and that didn't happen. In fact, um, if you subscribe to the Dallas Morning News, you would have seen on the front page of the Metro section this past week uh, an article by Jacqueline Floyd, who's a longtime Metro uh, writer for the Dallas Morning News, and, and I was able to talk to her, and I think she showed up to the event, honestly, um, there to capture some sound bites from elected officials and whatnot. But if you've not read the article, I encourage you to go on to to their website. It's called A New Kind of Activism. Front page above the fold. Look at that. And there's Sarah Luganbill talking with Justin. There's one quote that she has in there, though, that I want to lift up. And it, and it, it impressed me that she was able to, to put a finger on this. Oh, sorry. You didn't need those notes, nope. did you? All right, good. Um, Thanks. <laughs> she said this. What was heartening about the event was this. There was no pretense that any discussion of guns won't reveal political divisions. But there was also a steely determination, couched perhaps in genial terms, but with a no-kidding sternness, that the conversation would remain civilized. Maybe it takes a church to pull that one off. But when was the last time you were in a room with hundreds of people whose opinions nearly bridge the spectrum from weapons bans to arming teachers with no yelling, no rage, no condescending dismissals? I mean, that's a testimony from a journalist in the Dallas Morning News. Now, she wouldn't call it that, but that's a testimony. Jacqueline Floyd testified to what this church did last Sunday. And, and I'm proud of our church for not just creating a space for this, like Reagan said, but for actively encouraging reconciliation amongst individuals. I think that churches don't undertake this enough today. I think it's easy to throw red meat at whatever base you're talking to. I think it's a lot harder to create spaces where people can actually be heard and have conversations. But if we are going to be a people living under a forgiveness covenant, we have got to be sold out to reconciliation. We have to. If I know that I've been 
that I've been saved, that I've been reconciled to my God, if my tomb has been emptied, then my job at that point is to go out and try to be the hands and feet of Christ and to try to extend that reconciliation everywhere, wherever, whenever I am able to. I believe this. I believe that a forgiven heart is a reconciling heart. If you really claim that assurance that you've been forgiven, then you will naturally walk through the world looking to extend that to people around you because it feels good. I mean, you could see the tension as people walked into the room on Sunday night. You could see and feel the tension not knowing what is this going to be. And then you could feel the tension release as the night went on and everyone walked out looking like they had lost about 20 years, right? I mean, you could just see the tension fade away. That's the power of reconciling with each other. Now, a a couple things about this. If we're going to be working for reconciliation, number one, that doesn't mean you turn into a doormat, right? We didn't ask anybody to show up and, and lose their beliefs at the event on Sunday night. Just because you're looking to reconcile with someone doesn't mean you turn into a doormat and you let them have their way with you. That's not reconciliation. What it means is that you approach someone and, and you swallow your pride for a millisecond and you approach them with a humble heart that says, how can we make this right? Not how can I lay on my back and, 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 and you know, let you win the day, but how can we make this right? Because there's conflict, and I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and just let that be. I'm going to work for peace. I'm going to work for reconciliation in this world around me. Now, that's easier said than done. Some of us are really good at reconciling. Who loves to reconcile? They hate having conflict. They want to fix things with people as quickly as possible. Show of hands. Anybody? No? Okay. This is a fun church to lead then. Cool. Um, good luck. That's a good thing for us to know as your pastors. All right. So, How many of us, if we're being honest, it's really hard. Once we've decided that we are mad, it is hard for us to get in that reconciling mode. Let's be honest. I'm right there with you. So that's when it's helpful for me to think of God as my king, as my Lord. It's helpful for me to think that that not only is this something that I should be inspired to do, sometimes God's mandating it to me. Sometimes it's helpful to know that this is an order. This is not a request. God's not like, hey, if you have time, when you're free... Could you work for reconciliation in the world? God is like, your tomb is empty. This world is in conflict. What are you doing about it? Are you adding to the conflict or are you helping to bring about health and reconciliation in the world around you? I need that mandate far too frequently. Not that Reagan has any stories to share on that, but we're going to keep moving. Thank you, Ray. My average for being mad is four years. That is a true story. (laughs) It's a true story. I'm working on it. It really is. It was her cousin, Tricia. Um, it's fine. Um, so again, I think it is really hard. Not only is it hard to forgive others, but I think one thing that is difficult is we do have a hard time forgive, forgiving ourselves. Mm. Um, so it's easy to be like, well, it's funny how I'll meet people and they'll both do the exact same thing and one will just beat themselves up about it. And the other one will realize, okay, you know, yeah, I messed up. But it's amazing how some of us can just carry stuff for so long and not want to forgive ourselves. And so again, going back, to, I just love that picture of an empty tomb. Because, yeah, I, I, think, about, I think about my house, and I don't have a single empty closet, no. you know, right? No. Or I think about uh, on Friends when Monica, when Chandler... Timely opens, reference. I know it is. Opens the closet and she yeah. freaks out. Yeah. And that's how we are um, with all of our junk, I feel like, uh, that we're just, we want to hide it 
and then we want to keep it and maybe get rid of some of, it, some of it, but there's some that we keep because we just cannot let go. We just cannot forgive ourselves, um, which is why we continue to celebrate Easter time and time again because I know for me sometimes I have to remind myself I have to go again to the tomb and see that's empty. I have to look at it and see it and believe that it can be mine too. Um, and then I also think about um, the Lord's Supper here. Being a Methodist, you know, we have an open table. Anyone is welcome. You don't have to believe a certain thing. You don't have to be a member. Um, and you could just take it. Just if you have a heart that's curious to know Christ, you're curious about who this God is, um, you can take communion. And we take it time and time again. And I get that question a lot, especially from confirmants, you know, why do we do communion time and time again? Why don't we just do it once? But I think we have to be reminded again of the sacrifice. We have to be reminded that we are forgiven. We truly are. That we truly have an empty tomb. Um, and I, I think about uh, Peter the most when I think about forgiving ourselves. Because if you don't know the story of Peter well, you know, Christ tells him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to say you don't know me three times. And Peter freaks out and says, no, I can, I can never do that, Lord. And sure enough, he does. He ends up denying him three times. And I have to imagine um, when Peter ran to the tomb that morning to see for himself. The woman had already been there because women get things done. Um, they're probably on, their, probably on their third chore already by the time Peter got there. Um, <laughs> What I miss? Oh, did you need help? I didn't know. Did you know. need help? Marriage. Uh, Wait, what? What? <laughs> anyway. But I think about Peter when he was running to that tomb, and you know that was playing in his head over and over again. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I denied him. I, I, I can't believe I did it. I can't believe I did it. And probably just sobbing. And he gets to the tomb, and it's empty. Mm. And then he has to run back and tell the rest of the disciples as well. And you know he had to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, over and over and over again. Again, tears probably coming down his face. But then he's probably met or he's reminded that Christ said in their last supper, this new covenant that I forgive you. And Peter had to realize that Christ has already forgiven me. Christ forgave me even though I completely blew it. And if Peter had never forgiven himself, think how different the church would look now. If he would have continued to beat himself, if he would not have gone to the tomb, if he would have ran off, if he would have never seen that and realized, this is me, my tomb is empty, and now I get to go tell others that when he messed up, that didn't keep him from going and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's, let's end on, on this thought, that when it c- comes to forgiveness, like Reagan said, sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. I'm willing to bet I'm not the only person like that in the room this morning. Um, but I want to say this, that God gave his life, not for us generally, he did. God gave his life for you specifically. Look your pastor in the eyes real quick. Okay. God gave his life for you, and that is punishment enough. 
I know way too many Christians who walk through this life punishing themselves, acting like the crucifixion never happened, acting like someone has to pay for how terrible they are. And that just is not true. That is just not true. It's not true on this Easter and it's not true tomorrow. So whatever it takes for you to show up to your tomb today and to know that it's empty and to claim that truth, I encourage you to do so. And today we're going to mark that through a couple of different ways. Number one that we're inviting everyone to do is following worship in the shepherd's garden, which is straight this way. Um, we're going to have communion offered all morning long so that you can stop by whenever you'd like and receive communion. That's a way for you to approach the table and receive again that grace that says, this is forgiveness I'm extending to you, and I am asking for you to extend it to others as well. So I encourage you and your families, kids, everybody, go and receive communion after worship this morning. And then second, if you feel moved this morning to to come under the covenant of forgiveness that we've been talking about, or if you would like to remember this covenant that you've made with God through a remembrance of baptism or through a first-time baptism. I encourage you to talk to Reagan or I during offering or after the worship service. Um, We want that to be possible for you this Sunday. We want you to be able to live in this covenant of forgiveness because it is the best way to live this life, knowing that your tomb is empty, the price has been paid, your Savior is alive, and there is so much good that God has for you to do at work in this world.